Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. Credit to Justin Campbell at jcamp1521 for the intro as always. Uh, today, my guest is Ian Crossland. For those who are just now catching this who aren't familiar with the format, if you're watching today on the 30th, Memorial Day, uh, this is a live stream. It'll go down and it'll come up roughly a week or so later. I'll put it back up public. So if you want access in the meantime, you got to have the Patreon, patreon.com. Just no way, Jose 2020. Lowest level is two bucks. Highest level is 20. The $20 levels are sponsors. I'll read them off every level or every uh, week. I got CD McRae of the Whiskey and Tea Podcast. Jeremy of, of uh, and he has a Etsy, uh, etsy.com. So shops so that's raising liberty. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter at Jeremy Rhymes. Also, Mikel Thorup of the Expat Money Show. So if you're a person of means and you're trying to move towards liberty you want to go somewhere you know specifically out of the country he's your guy go hit him up he's a podcast he also has a business that helps facilitate people with this uh yeah uh just want you guys know i do have some more anarchist handbook episodes in the work uh we'll get to that uh i also you know go check out toplobster.com use jose at checkout for 10 percent off and with that let's go into it we'll keep this short and sweet so we can respect ian's time oh, oh god hey what's up man what's up dude hey how you good doing you. uh uh, it's good to see you too. I appreciate having you here. If you want to take a minute, this is the first time on the show, you can take a minute to introduce yourself to the audience for those who aren't familiar with you, who you are, what you're about, basically whatever you want to do, uh, whatever kind of yeah. information you give. Well, my name is Ian Crossland. I'm a co-founder of uh, Minds.com, social network, free software, copy left social network. And I'm also the co-host on uh, Timcast IRL with Tim Pool, which is like a Monday through Friday show on YouTube if you haven't seen it. It's really cool. It's an interview show. Uh, get some of the greatest guests. The oh be- yeah, the best, the best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Best. yeah. You've had a few of my friends on there. You've had Clint, uh, Clint Russell. He's also a co-host on another show that I'm on with, uh, and a few other of my friends. Uh, so I do appreciate you. Definitely get you guys give some shine to people of our community of the Liberty community, if you will. So I do appreciate it. Uh, uh, David, uh, I see you in the chat. This is uh, this is not Ian's apartment. You, you're barking up the wrong tree. You need to go hit up Lydia. That's the person. Uh, he's asking when uh, Tower Power Hour is going to be on the show because she said that we would be able to come on like forever ago. But I think oh, she probably probably watched the show and thought otherwise because we're a little bit of shit shit lords, if you will. So uh, yeah, but I mean that the wrong tree you're barking up, David. Uh, but yeah, uh, I do want to go over real quick how we kind of met for the audience, or not necessarily met, but uh, kind of got introduced. Is actually ironically the guy who just dropped that chat, David. He'd been pestering you for a while because I have a series I'm doing a doing for each chapter of, uh, of Michael Malice's The Anarchist Handbook book, uh, I've been doing a, an episode for each chapter. So far, I've had people like Dave Smith. He covered the Rothbard chapter. I had, uh, uh, I don't know, I had Goldman. I did Thaddeus Russell covered that. I had, uh, I mean, but it goes on. I've, I've gotten a lot of good guests for that. And, you know, per, I feel like I've gotten like perfect people for each one. So it's been good so far. But he kept dropping, being like thinking you should. I know you're not an anarchist, and we can kind of get into that. Or at least I don't think you are from the little bit of research I've done. Uh, but I did get a vibe, and he kept dropping your name. I was like, I feel like he could he could, he could, could do Prude Hawn, because I don't know why I get a Prude Hawn vibe from you. I get very much like left libertarian slash classical liberal vibes from you. And, uh, and some of the things you've said, I feel like identify with Prude Hawn. So I do want to touch on a little bit because I did send you the essay and had you read it. And you had some critiques. And instead of going back and forth on messages to see if you are the right person, I figured, you know, we'll, we'll just do a standard interview. And I'll kind of gauge you a little bit because the purpose of those ones is not to like critique them. It's more to like kind of give a, um, I don't know, I guess like a steel man version of them to people. That way they can kind of, you know, it's to kind of accompany the book so they can be like, oh, this is cool. And like, oh, what was the moral of this? Like, I don't want to bring on somebody who's just going to tear apart it. You know what I mean? 
because that would be kind of counter to the point of the series. But I did send you the Prude Han one, and I kind of want to get your takeaways. You had some critiques, and I think from the critiques, I, I do remember you saying in the DMs, I kind of agree with them because I'm not a uh, – I'm not a Prudhonian or whatever you would call it. I'm not of his ilk either, but I do have, there were some cool takeaways I got from that and we'll get into that. I guess we can start with, uh, I guess, what is your persuasion? Am, am I correct? I'm, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure you're probably not one to give yourself a label and I get that, but uh, where, where, where are you coming from in your school of thought? Politically? You mean? That? Yes. Politically. Yeah. I guess uh, historically I was, born and raised in Northeast Ohio, which is kind of like a liberal pocket in a conservative state. So I got, so I grew up with an outside perspective of the conservative movement, kind of. So my parents were usually critiquing it with a little bit more of a liberal mindset. And like, I'm talking like, you know, classically liberal stuff. Like my mom was a second wave feminist, big on like equality of opportunity for everybody. And then this weird, the evolution of feminism, how it's like, uh, seems to have changed so much. That's not when I talk about feminism, I'm still thinking about like, you know, equality for people. Yeah. Women, so many ways. You know, <laughs> I, when I think of politics, man, I think of technology firstly, like who's controlling the narrative. I go usually just lift off above the red and blue left and right mudslinging crap and think about who's controls the networks that are allowing people and deciding what, what message is getting spread, which is a form of politics, BlackRock buying land up Washington post, being owned by Amazon or Jeff Bezos, that's political. Mm -hmm. um, it's just not Democrat or Republican. Yeah, no, it's, this is uh, a stuff people call conspiracy. But I'm sorry, yeah, technocratic. Me, but... it's, it's technocratic, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's a form that's political persuasion. And, and I, I, in my early days, I was I was all all on board for tech technocracy. I was like, yo, we're all gonna plug our brains in and be in the matrix and have. But now it's I'm starting to see proprietary software, control of networks, and and media messaging uh, yeah. is, is a much more. So I don't even know. You know, when it comes to technology, I'm a bit of an anarchist. I don't think that people should have control of these huge networks. I don't think any one person should be. I like the idea that it's a public utility. Yeah. So uh, I'm assuming you might not be too hip to the IP idea or, or, or are you a well, fan of IP? Because I, 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 I get what you're getting at. It should be more open, uh, open software type stuff. Yeah, I like IP for people that are building stuff. Uh, but when things become so huge that they're used by hundreds of millions of people a day and that they're treated like common networking, common carrier networks like Facebook, the amount of people that use that, the amount of messaging that goes through that, they can get manipulated. I think that we have to come together as, as a species or at least as Americans and legislate like antitrust in some form. And I don't think breaking the companies up is the way to do it. So I think making their software license copy left, which is AGPL3, things that make it permanently free software code, I like calling it, I, I, for a while I've been calling it free software. I'm like free the code, but people are misinterpreting that and thinking that it means that I, you, that it's free and you can't sell it. Like anyone can have it for free. What it means is that the licensing codes, instead of being proprietary and being like, you know, you, you, the secret code that the codes become like uh, available for the public to use. It's like a form of open source code, but it's more, if you take it and make changes to it, those changes remain free with an AGPL3 license. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I get what you mean. It's uh, it's I mean, it doesn't mean people can't charge for it. It's just uh, the uh, the 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 original co uh, code. By the way, I'm a tech idiot, so I'm I'm good on theory when it comes to, like crypto stuff like that. But when it comes to nitty gritty, I'm. It took me forever to start a podcast just because the fact I'm awful when it comes to tech, and I'm uh, so, I've been a mechanic my whole life. So like I when it comes nice. to nice. 
when it comes well, to stuff like this, it's like, ah, but yeah. I, I get the theory of it. <laughs> As I'm talking, I'm like, maybe I'm not an anarchist when it comes to technology because I'm considering using government legislation to decide that these companies have to free their software licensing because they become so big. And that's not, anarchists would be like, whatever happens, happens. I'm not using the, the, the rule of law to force companies. But I think that monopolies, you know, they need to be broken up. That's the history of, of private companies is if they get too big, they become kingdoms. Well, not to go deep into the, the anarchist argument to try to convince you, but I would say on the flip side of that, many anarchists, myself included, would argue that in a free site, and this kind of brings the IP thing, uh, I know you say more IP for certain things and not for others, but in general, there would be no enforcement thing. I mean, there would be like social enforcement. So say like in say in case of like a comedy bit, uh, you know, this already happens. They don't really have legislation for it. If someone steals a bit, it's kind of like, you know, you look at like George Lopez or, or whoever it was uh, who stole a bunch of stuff and Rogan called him out like he can't work in that realm anymore because people just I mean, I'm sure he does a little bit here and there, but not like he used to because it's just a social shaming. But now when it comes to like uh, stuff like code or stuff like that, it'd be there's no one to enforce the, uh, you know, not being. I guess maybe you were saying maybe they'd force them to release it. But uh, in a free society, they wouldn't have patents or stuff of the like that would keep them. They would have legal protection for it. So like, yeah, maybe they could try to protect it. But at some point, let's be real. If you get a big enough company, the code is going to get leaked to someone in some way, shape or form somehow. And at that point, there's no legal enforcement that would uh, that would slap the wrist of the individual who leaked it, uh, if you will. So not to go too deep into that, because, yeah, I mean, there are people, though, who do believe in like IP, even an anarchist thing, because they would consider it property. And, you know, a lot of anarchists are property respecters and you can get in the realm uh, like Prude Hahn is kind of weird in his concept of a uh, property whereas i'm more of like an ancap where i do respect private property i just don't consider ip private property so i also yeah. think like how blackstone's buying housing uh, single mm -hmm. family homes uh, i guess if i was like laissez-faire with law and government i would just stand by and watch it happen but it seems like the corporations aren't people they might legally mm -hmm. be considered people right now but that's completely insane to me these these companies yeah. what right do they have to own people's houses <laughs> oh, it's all good. i think i should close that window <laughs> It's all good. I have on my end. I don't know if you can hear me, but I'll go on for the audience. No. I, I, I have uh, I, uh, a lot of people know I breed cats. If you hear any crying in the background, it's because I have a cat that's all ready to be bred and is being very oh, great. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, weird job, but uh, it, it helps pay the bills. Yeah, I was um, thinking like if you were to say like a company has gotten so big, like say YouTube, Google is so big that the code belongs to the people now because it's that's the people's product, that how would you enforce that? you you give them cease and desist you're like hey do it if they don't do it you have to send the police and then you arrest the, the business managers that are refusing to release the code and that at that point it's no longer anarchy it's like yeah you know i don't know what you call it government yeah and, uh, you you brought up the blackstone example this is funny enough uh uh, I'm I mean, not to get too deep into labels, but I would be considered what's like an agorist, which is like a subset of an ANCAP in my opinion. And this is a, uh, this is funny. A lot of ANCAPs have come around to my form of thinking because things like Blackstone, a lot of, uh, it's been pretty common for the decades that a lot of, uh, ANCAP types or, or even conservatives have very much been like Ayn Randian when it comes to corporations and stuff and kind of, uh, and kind of almost, uh, revere them. But I think the past couple of years, especially with COVID and everything, has really opened the eyes of a lot of people of like, hey, corporations are these bastard uh, children of the government and the free market. So, like, I'm not saying that we should 
uh, weaponize the government to uh, to get rid of them. But if there was no government, they they it would prevent a lot of the protections they have. They would be more subject to like free market type stuff. I also think as people like us, we should to some extent issue them, kind of be like, fuck these guys. Like if you're able to, I do think you should like say for example, if you have a if you haven't, there's a Walmart and then you have a little uh, La Tienda of some like little thing you, and you, and you know, the products at the little La Tienda, the little Mexican uh, shop, you should probably go to the Mexican shop. Why frequent Walmart if you don't have to in that given situation? Because I mean, Walmart is a large corporation, gets a lot of kickbacks from the government, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, that is a common thing with ANCAPs is actually a, but I do think a lot of them have changed in that, that they did used to be very much simp for corporations and stuff where I do think that is changing these days, which is a good thing. Cause I think uh, that's one thing we commonly would shit on the left for that. But it, we're, I think in the past couple of years we realized, well, maybe the left had a fucking point. <laughs> I've actually lately been thinking that calling corporations like that, we need different words for different types of corporation, your corporation. And then if you get so big, like once it gets 50 employees or more, that beast has become another type of organization. Calling it still simply a corporation doesn't make a lot of sense at that point. It's something way different. It's like yeah. pseudo government almost. I don't know what. Yes, exactly, so yeah. so we need new laws for these gigantic, you know, huge influential yeah. wealth m monsters. The way I like to characterize a lot of people of, uh, of, you know, of my persuasion tend to look at like the free market and the government as like a binary, whereas I think it, it's more conducive to look at it as a spectrum because, you know, like say like the little, little Mexican store that's just got a couple employees, it's a little tiny spot. Like that's definitely way closer to the free market side of the of thing. But now something like Walmart, I don't think they're technically the government, but uh, they're not a hundred percent free market either. They have so many protections from the government, special kickbacks, corporate welfare, things of the like that at some point it's like, yeah, maybe technically they're not the state, but let's be real. They're not the free market either. So I do think, like you said, it is, there is definitely something to the fact of not looking at this in simplistic, this or that type way. So yeah, the word state is interesting. Like, Hey, what's your state of mind? What state are you in right now? That is vague. I'm in Ohio, but I'm also in a very happy state. So like, who, what's the state? It's like, what's the status quo? This, this, what's, what's running? What's the, the accepted norm of your reality? If it's Walmart, then Walmart is the state of your being at that moment. And so just because we call Ohio a state and California a state doesn't mean that's the only kind of state you can exist within. Mm -hmm. We got to be careful what our status is. Yeah. Uh, now let's go ahead and get into Pudhan. I want to get your uh, thoughts on it because uh, this is a spot to where I actually very well may end up asking you to come on for this episode, depending on what your thoughts are on it. Because, I mean, obviously, I don't expect anyone to have 100% agree with each individual one. But, I mean, depending on what your critiques, takeaways, you know, what you thought it was about in general, uh, I may or may not. Because I do, like, even just now, from the things you're saying, it's very uh, – a lot of stuff you're saying is very conducive to a lot of stuff Prudhan would say. Uh, and uh, this this specific essay doesn't really go into that as much because he uh, – it wasn't really the point of the essay, although that is where Prudhong comes from. Uh, for those who aren't aware, and I'm not sure if you are, he is what was called a mutualist, which is like this kind of like in between of like ANCAPs and like anarcho-socialists, where he didn't necessarily think that people couldn't have property, but he like like he kind of uh, issued it, kind of didn't didn't like it. If anything, it was a uh, is like he wouldn't want to use force 
to have people claim uh, to stop people from claiming property. He would more just be like, well, we don't like that kind of like a social force type deal. And uh, yeah, he, he was more against things like usury, uh, like stuff like that. So I do want to get your thoughts. What were your critiques of it? I know you mentioned something about equality, which I do actually agree with, or equity is more specifically that he kind of was implying in some aspects of the essay. So what were your critiques of the Prudhon essay I sent you from the Anarchist um, Handbook? I read four pages. I didn't yeah. get the numbers of the pages and I, they may have been in and out of order. I'm not a hundred percent sure. And I didn't really, to be honest, I, I didn't understand the context because it was mm -hmm. just what I've noticed about reading um, manuscripts and political Excellent. essays yeah. and things yeah. is that they use words like revolutionary, but for them, it has a specific meaning at that time when he was alive, there were a group of people that were revolutionaries. He has a few, uh, words that he used that I think like Hitler would talk about the party and, and the party was a, a capital P. And if you don't know what he what genre he's talking about, you don't know what what that word means. But to him, he uses it over and over again with such force. And so unless you already know ahead of time, uh, it becomes very confusing. And that's kind of what I got out of this. It, it sounded like he. Let me see if I can pull up what I my initial thoughts that that he thought that. I don't know, man. I, this is not even remotely my specialty. Oh, uh, no, you're good. You're good. Um, was there something in specific about it, like a, a text or something that you were wondering about? Oh, I just wonder your overall. I, I do. I just want to kind of get your, your disagreements, critiques, generally speaking. It doesn't have to be anything specific because I do remember you had sent me like uh, you had said that he at one point said that uh, humans should be equal. And me and you both disagree that humans are equal. Uh I mean, I guess it depends on what, in what sense you mean equal. Uh, but generally speaking, yes, I don't think everyone's equal. I don't think me and you are equal. I think we have different skills, different, uh, different abilities, uh, different intelligence levels, different, etc. Like obviously, you're more of a tech guy. I'm not. I'd probably be better at fixing things. Uh, like uh, I'm an air. I, I've been an airplane mechanic for forever, so. Like I probably could fix an airplane better than you could, uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then even then, even if you do sum up everything, there are some people who are to some extent, probably borderline worthless, uh, you know, that don't really have much to contribute to society at all, which are, there are other people on the other side of it who have far more to like, like an Elon Musk or something like that. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I just kind of want to get your thoughts to see if there's anything specifically that you overall disagreed with it. Uh, I do get that the context is kind of weird because it's like you're pretty sure he's French. So we're reading something that's French from like centuries ago. That's uh that's a, uh, yeah. I mean, I do think when he was speaking revolution, he was more meaning, meaning like a, in a political. And I, th I do think in some ways he meant it in like almost like a mental and spiritual way in some aspects. Uh, so, cause I know a lot of people use revolution in a lot of different ways. Cause a lot of people, most people hear revolution. They think like 1776, Whereas, I mean, you can have a revolution of the mind. You can have a revolution of the spirit. So uh, I didn't know if there's anything uh, specifically that you had aside from that. Uh, if not, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, you made a good point about being equal. I seem to remember, I'm looking through, I have PDFs, so I'm not able to search with control F, but he was <laughs> talking about people being equal. And I thought, we're not, you know, legally we, we set up a system that says all men are created equal under God just for the sake of it, but we're all so vastly different. And it, equality doesn't mean that we're the same, but it seemed like uh, Prudhomme was implying that because we were equal, we are the same. And so we require and need the same things and deserve the same, well, and 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 we'll, should also get the same outcomes. That's what, that's the, the, the gist I was feeling. I don't mm. agree with that at all. Some people are just high IQ, fast, mm. big, strong, intelligent, kind other people are born half 
mentally deranged and like just missing a, a chromosome or something. And, and the sad, the sad truth is uh, I, I don't, I don't think top down governance works for that reason. You got to kind of let, but then, you know, you do need protections against individual intelligent psychopaths that try and take over and seize power. Um, yeah. Which would be for Prudhon. I think that would be like why he more prefers like a social thing. It's kind of the same thing where he doesn't, uh, he doesn't like a uh, property, like to bring that up again, but he would more uh, prefer to, if we get enough people to kind of, uh, you know, to look down upon it, that it would naturally over time kind of waste away, which obviously I don't agree with that specifically, but I can, I get where he's coming from. Um, yeah. Oh, so he's assuming that if you kind of talk, let people know you disagree with their behavior, eventually they'll stop doing it. To some extent. Uh, I mean, specifically I'm to be fair, I'm not a huge Prudhon guy. This is a, the thing. I, the only thing I've ever read of Prudhon, I did enjoy it. I did think it had some cool takeaways. I did like how he kind of characterized some things, you know, specifically uh, when it comes to revolutions and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, now uh, just out of curiosity, what was your biggest takeaway from this uh, essay uh, or, or takeaways if there were multiple, uh, if there was anything you got out of it or, or if it really was just kind of like Greek to you, because I'll be honest, I didn't get a ton out of it, but I did get some cool stuff out of it personally. Yeah, really. It was the way he used the uh, language. I have some of it written down here, like radicals and absolutists. He's talking about like political ideologies of the time because a radical then is not what a radical is now. We, when you say that per there's a bunch of radicals out there, it's going to have a different different definition, same word, different meaning. And so I realized as I was reading this, how, how text, how texts can be taken out of context. Like uh, mm. people might read this today and think it means something other than what he intended for it to mean when he wrote it. Yeah. I got I more, more of that like overarching um, idea than anything specific about what he was saying. Cause I didn't have the context. Yeah, I do remember. I, uh, God, what was I going to say? I, I, I was looking for different versions of it to give to you. I ended up having to just screenshot it and send it to you because it is, like I said, French. So, like, uh, even just as simple as trying to find a version of it, there were different translations and stuff. So, it, it does get wonky when you're dealing with language and especially something that's dated, um, stuff like that. Uh, I guess the last question about Prudhon, I want to know what, what was your, what did you think the moral of the, of the essay in general was? I just kind of want to see what your, what you thought it was about overall or yeah. Uh, it sounded like he was advocating for, I mean, I read it like a month ago and I read it out of, it was, I think it's out of context. So I really didn't understand it. But what I was, what I got was that he was advocating for like communism or socialism. I couldn't mm -hmm. tell. It, it sounded like he was saying people like are all the same. So we need to treat them the same. Yeah. But he, yeah, he definitely, like I said, it was, it is kind of a weird, uh, he has the mutualism thing. So it is kind of like a, uh, socialism, communism type thing. Although the difference being that he wouldn't, uh, his big thing is he wouldn't want to apply force like many anarcho communists would say with someone who claims property. Um, so, cause that's a big issue with a lot of, uh, anarcho communists and stuff is it's like, cool. Like if you're doing your own thing and you're off and off there and leaving us alone, but the problem mm -hmm. is a lot of them are like, Oh no, uh, property's violence, and you're like, whoa! Now, now we have some issues, because uh, yeah, I, I like my property, and we're gonna have problems if you're saying I can't have it. Um, but yeah, let's let's change gears. I want to get your thoughts on the latest school shooting, and uh, and then maybe we might go a little bit conspiratorial if you're comfortable with that, because I, I am I'm actually all, I'm very much in a conspiratorial mindset because my other show, which is like more of a comedy show, we're getting ready to do a whole conspiracy month, and then this stuff dropped, and I was like, obviously this is like red meat for any conspiracy people. 
Uh, so we'll probably go full Alex Jones here soon in this week whenever we cover it. But I just want to get your thoughts in general. Uh, I do. I mean, I guess specifically on guns and of the like, because uh, it normally I ignore these things because uh, I mean, you know, I feel like the media trumps them up. But I'm not gonna lie. This one fucked me because I'm a dad and a lot, especially the angle of the cops preventing parents from doing anything while they didn't really do anything like really fucked me up and I, I i'm not one to usually get sucked into news stories but that one really uh tugged on my heartstrings a lot and made me very angry i'm not gonna lie uh so yeah. I, I guess i want to get your thoughts on it in general i i'm a similar mindset i'm i don't have any kids right now but man when i saw that i got into the head of, the, of one of the parents i just felt like their emotions like what if a cop stopped me from going in to get my kid and because of that the kid got killed and like what you you're the police, you're the protector and you because of your ignorance or stupidity or, or just pure bureaucracy. Now, children have died because of it, because of some paperwork. Like, I don't know if they were they were told. Apparently they had a local guy was in charge and made the wrong call. This is the story yeah. now. And some said, boss hog up. looking motherfucker. Yeah, was he? OK. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like 19 cops or something sitting outside the, the school. I don't know if they were in the hallway outside where the gunman was inside with the kids, killing them slowly. And mm -hmm. uh, the cops just didn't didn't kick the door in because they didn't know if they were. I don't know what they knew. Did they did they think there were three shooters all with their ARs trained on the door ready and just baiting the cops in. So as the cops came in, they were just going to get taken down one by one. So they didn't want to go in, but they, it was like, they were treating it like a hostage situation, Yeah, but it wasn't, it was an active shooting situation. It's a difference you're supposed to go in, in those cases. Um, yeah, it was, it was a uh, pretty tragic. Yeah. No, yeah. It was my understanding that he barricaded himself in a, in one of the uh, rooms and I guess they were like, Oh, well, I guess we're good. He's contained, but it's like, yeah, but he's contained in a room full of children. So, yeah. I mean, and he's sh literally shooting them. So, I mean, every little bit of information that I've gone, I, I typically try my best to be like, well, you know, what's the, I'm not a big fan of cops because I'm, I'm an anarchist type, but I, I do try to be like, hey, uh, I'm not just going to let my biases control me. But the more I look into the more I'm like, it just kind of confirms my bias further and further, the more I look into it. Because every little bit of information I get is like, what the fuck happened? Uh, like it wasn't until the border patrol showed up that it seemed to be, uh, something of substance actually, you know, was accomplished. Um, but I mean, I guess I wasn't there, but still, yeah, the, 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 the parents aspect of it really, really messed me up big time. But yeah, it's, uh, the, for those who aren't aware, the one photo that was getting shared around of the, the guy who got, who was getting tackled by the cops, that guy's kid literally died. That, that, that guy, the one that they handcuffed and held down. His kid literally died. And on the, on the inverse, there was a woman who literally hopped, ran past the cops, hopped the fence, and was able to get their kids out. So it's like two different stories. And it's 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 just tragic, especially when you compare and contrast the two. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's just awful altogether. Um, I guess I guess we can kind of move a little bit to the gun side of things. What, what are your thoughts on that aspect? Because obviously everyone wants to make this about guns. I guess we touched on police a little bit, obviously the bureaucracy of it. I mean, it's kind of hard to judge them too harshly, although I'm definitely very much want to, because like, who knows, maybe we'll find out information later and they were to some extent making the right move. I have a hard time or not right move, right move based on the information they had, but it's hard to believe that at this given time. But I mean, I, don't, I guess I'll be a little bit fair. Uh, but I guess we can kind of shift to the gun side. Like, where, what are your thoughts on the gun aspect of it? Uh, I, I thought uh, 
One, I've had a few thoughts about it, actually, that the police should have the opportunity to train and open and carry uh, concealed carry. If, a, if, a, if a, a teacher, rather a teacher, if a teacher is trained and wants to, that they should be allowed to have a concealed carry in the classroom mm -hmm. to defend those kids and themselves. Uh, secondly, I think that kids should be having some sort of gun safety training when they're young, when they're like in third or fourth grade. They know it's not a demon. It's a tool that can be extremely destructive, like fire, but you want to educate these kids. So if a shooter kicks the door open, puts a bullet in the teacher's head, and then the kids are screaming and running for their lives, one of the kids knows how to pick that gun up and use it mm. to save his life. Otherwise, the kid's going to get killed. Yeah. Uh, I also, I started thinking like maybe when hum people are 25, we should be, we should have the right to go get a government issued firearm if we can take the test and, and apply. Uh, I, I don't know. I had this conversation with my dad a couple nights ago out of dinner. We were all talking about gun rights and like, you know, the second amendment says enemies, both foreign and domestic. Okay. So if there really was people like you don't need an AR 15 to defend yourself against uh, a, a uh, attacking force. It's, it's an assault weapon. And I'm like, okay, if you have an attacking invading force on soil, they're going to be in the building over there. Hold up. You need to assault the building. It's yeah. not about sitting still and waiting. When you're the defender, you don't sit still. You're still assaulting the attacker's position. So, yes, you need assault weapons. You need bayonets and you need flashbangs and grenades and semi-auto. Who knows what else? Because you need to take out. You're going to need to take out four to five positions. It's uh, also people thinking that AR means automatic rifle or assault <laughs> rifle. It means armalite rifle. Yeah. It doesn't. It's it's a semi-automatic weapon. Yeah. Uh, not an automatic weapon. Yeah, you'll beat your head against the wall if you always try to... There's always so many people. And blue checks, like important people that will just say the most ridiculous things about like... I mean, I don't know. I'm not a gun nut at all, but I was raised in the country. I, I'm, I'm not someone who can name you off all different types of guns. I know how to use guns. I'm decent. I have multiple guns. But I actually don't even see myself at all even, even close to being like a good gun nut or efficient. I'm just generally kind of familiar with them. But like, it's ridiculous. Some of the shit people will say, they'll say, you always see all the time. People be like, oh, these, these guns, you know, will blow huge holes in people and shit like that. Like ARs typically have some of the smallest ammo. <laughs> like, what do you, like if, especially if you're like advocating for hunting rifles, it's like 30 out sixes will, are the things that will blow holes in things. <laughs> so, like, you know, what's so, inter interesting is like, we had this conversation about what's a good, like, what's a, what's safe to let the, the U.S. population, what weapons are like too powerful to let civilianry have to yeah. defend itself. Nuclear bombs, probably, because if everybody had a nuclear bomb in their hand and one of the guys dropped it, it would set off and blow up like eight city blocks. That's we. That seems too dangerous. It seems too yeah. dangerous. Uh, AR-15, semi-automatic 30-round rifles. It's not a mass destruction weapon. I mean, you could cause a lot of d damage with it, but it's not considered, I don't think it's considered mass destruction with like large explosion radius or huge chemical vapor, you know, acidification or something. So what's too dangerous? Obviously, I think nuclear whip, a nuclear bomb would be too dangerous to, for someone to go pick up at the local gun store. Um, High-powered artillery that can fire intercontinental ballistic missiles, probably too dangerous for your average civilian to have in their backyard. But like what, what, I don't know, man. It's a tough conversation because yeah. if there really was an insurgency, all bets are off. People need whatever they can get their hands on.
Yeah, and a lot of things, I mean, aside from nukes, obviously, even a lot of the anarchists are like, all right, nukes is where I draw the line. And a lot of people have different arguments for why or why not, even in anarchist society, why it's okay or not, because a lot of people make the case that, like, this is in no way something you would use for self-defense or whatever, like, or, or even, like, in a in a legitimate way to ever attack anyone. There's no, like, real legitimate use. Like, I, I'm even of the opinion that even when we nuked Japan, I think we were completely in the wrong and that was not okay. But, I mean, I'm not going to go down that tangent. But there's really – I can't think of a single scenario because there's no way to pinpoint unless somehow every offensive person there is is somehow magically in that same area. But there's no way you're not going to kill civilians. Like, that's just not – like, you're going to take out innocent people with a nuke. But, like, aside from that, it's like, say, like a tank or something like that. It's like people always be like, what, do you think people should have a tank? It's like, if you can afford a tank, like, I mean – what kind of person is – do you think there are crazies out there just spending their whole life saving up for a tank just so they can go on, like, a assault mission? Like, it's probably not going to be a cheap, easy thing to get. And even then, it will probably take some training to use. So if you put in that much uh, time and effort in doing it, at that point, it's probably, like, you're most likely someone who could be trusted with it. And if not, you know, if other people allowed their tanks, you know, you know what? Some other person with a tank will take it out. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of where I am on that. Uh, I forgot I had a point, but yeah, no, with nukes, it is ridiculous. It, it, it definitely is. I, I, it's hard to justify people having nukes. But aside from that, I, I'm definitely a very much a, a second amendment or, or just uh, second amendment might be the wrong way of putting it, but a, uh, protecting yourself maximalist or, you know, cause I mean, you never know. I mean, if I want to have a bazooka, I should be able to have a bazooka. But now if I fucking shoot somebody with it, that doesn't, didn't deserve it. Then that now that's a different issue, you know? So. Yeah, and I'm thinking about drones. Uh, people are restricted yeah. on the type of drones and where they can fly drones. That's almost like a Second Amendment issue because drones can be weaponized very easily. And then I'm thinking about radio waves, like um, different, you know, when you're using the ham radio, you can only do certain frequencies or it becomes a government, you know, it's illegal according to the government. That's almost like a second. It's not the Second Amendment. It's more of a First Amendment issue. Like, what do you say? I don't have the right to communicate. I'm an American. I have access to the airwaves. I can do whatever I, I'm not whatever I want, but within you know my constitutional God-given right is I'm allowed to use my yeah. speech, my my communication. Um, but the government tries to limit it for whatever, for better or 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 worse. I don't know. You can't have everyone with all power because yeah. I think every it, someone would blow it all up on accident or or on purpose. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we're talking nuke, sure. I mean, even then, I know a lot of anarchists will make the argument that in a nuke situation, it still would be like you'd have to pay so much. And these aren't just things you build, just go to a, it's not like you just go to the gun store, spend a hundred bucks and get a nuke. Like it'd be, it, it'd probably, there'd definitely be a whole lot of, uh, there'd be a whole lot of to do. So I don't know. The nukes is where I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I'm all, that's the, for me, like the uh, protect, like, uh, guns, whatever pretty much everything up until nukes. And then it's like, all right, maybe there's a discussion to be had. And at that point, I don't even really care to have a discussion. Now we're just kind of having intellectual masturbation at that point. So yeah, like if, <laughs> if I had a satellite that could fire a high powered laser yeah. and like level a house and I'm like, Hey, I'm using it for defense in case someone tries to attack my house. But if I wanted to, I could send it over, you know, North Dakota and blow up some city. Then you're like, is it really just because it can potentially be used as a destructive offensive weapon. Doesn't mean it's not defensive, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess for you, the, to, that kind of brings it back to my nuke point because it's, it's hard to make any sort of argument whatsoever that a nuke is in any way defensive. Uh, I mean, I mean, unless you're talking nation to nation, but then, like I said, you're taking out innocent people. So I don't think that is uh, legitimate at that point. Uh, all right. Offer Nave has a super chat. By the way, I'm taking super chats if he wants to do it. But uh, he, he wanted, I don't know if you're aware, he wanted to let you know what happened in Reno. I don't know if you're following all that stuff. Negative. 
Oh, uh, well, you, and you're a fan of Dave Smith. I, I, I know you guys. Are, yeah, I, I love Dave Smith, too. He's the one who made me an anarchist. He's a great guy. I've had him on my show multiple times. Um, yeah, he, uh, him, I guess not specifically him, but the LPMC in general just took over. They swept uh, the LP. So now the LP is being controlled by uh, the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus, which is basically uh, Dave's thing, essentially. I mean, he's does, technically doesn't have any leadership position, but they're the one they've been touting as like a, uh, as the next presidential candidate. He's kind of the figurehead, if you will. So he wanted to let me to let you know that that's what happened. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not a political involvement guy, uh, but I mean, at the same time, I, I will clap whenever they do something cool. And uh, I do think to some extent it is kind of cool. It's nice seeing all the uh, useless, uh, you know, people that I, you know, that, that scream about racism and Nazis and call them all this crazy stuff. I'm sure you probably don't follow all that drama that are freaking out and leaving the party. So while I don't necessarily uh, go the political involvement route, it's nice to see that. I, I definitely, it's kind of like uh, the Trump thing. Like it's nice. I, I wasn't a Trump fan, but I did like all the people he made mad. <laughs> it was fun to watch. So yeah. I'm a, Dave's a friend of mine. And I, so I'm glad when people I know and, and like get into positions of power that they want to be in, because I feel like I can help them uh, for the greater good. And I'm similar with Donald Trump. We had Cash Patel on, on IRL last week, who was the chief of staff of the Secretary of Defense under Donald Trump. And to, so, um, and Donald Trump, Donald actually called Cash before the show and put him on speaker. And we were listening listen to him talk about Truth Social. And uh, it's the, I'm not very political. I don't really care to get embroiled in the, the mudslinging of who's right and who's wrong and who's better. But like, if we can use the political force to build like a new technological industry, I'm all about it. Whether it's Dave, Don, Joe, I don't care. I want to work together to get it done. I want to use, uh, I'm a little on the cuff about using taxpayer dollars. I used to think that we could start like a graphene industry where we start using lasers to develop this flash graphene, super capacitors, superconductors, new forms of wiring, housing, building, clothing. But then I'm like, maybe using the government isn't the way. Maybe it's to start a corporation and do it in the private sector. Like you were saying earlier, these corporations become quasi-fascist, government, private. Maybe that's the way to do it. Not, I mean, it is fascist to take a corporation and get government handouts. But I think if, it, if you just government to get your, your technology built, that it just becomes so bureaucratic and that the private sector has more agility. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, that, that is the scary thing about fascism is because I'm sure, you know, it's the merger of corporate and uh, or of, of the of the private and uh, public sector. It's a you know, it it weirdly is this like uh, they almost create this hierarchy of, uh, you know, of corporations that serve under the state over time. And that's basically what fascism is. And it's and it's so scary because it is way more effectual. Uh, effective than most forms of authoritarian government. So, you know, like we saw in the past few years, whenever, you know, say something like a lockdown or something comes along or, or, uh, or, you know, vaccine mandates or whatever, that's when they start being like, Oh, well, you know, this company, this, this company, that. And it's like, yeah, they never, a lot of them, I mean, they did to some extent have uh, the, the state make some laws, but in a lot of cases it was just, they fell in line immediately because they kind of know where their power comes from. Their power comes from the state. Whereas, you know, you had little, uh, little, 
like the the true free market you know whether it be people in the black market or the gray markets or or people just have smaller type places they were way more flexible it was people that had jobs like that they were able to get away with shit like that but yeah no it's scary when you do see that stuff like that how that works but yeah i, I get what you mean it is it's way more effective to interact with the like if you have some like your graphene thing we'll get into graphene i want to touch on that to probably towards the end but uh because you know, that's your big thing but yeah, if you had some sort of industry, it would be if you had the government handling it, like the government, you know, basically handling anything by themselves, they just fuck it up uh, almost royally because they are not an effective organization. There's no incentives whatsoever for them to do things effectively, uh, you know, whether it's whether it's quick or you know efficiently, uh, what have you, or or with high quality, they're awful. Like I used, I was active duty military for 11 years, and I can tell you for a fact, and that's probably one of the few places that's a little bit better than most aspects of the government. And even then, like. I know like I was an airplane mechanic and they, you, I would see the receipts on the shit we'd pay for. We'd pay like almost a hundred bucks for a fucking bolt. And you'd be like, why? And you're like, well, cause we only have one provider because when they sold us a plane, that was what they, they said. And we didn't give a shit. So we're like, yep, then we can only buy the part from them. So we just created a, a shitload of monopolies. So like this is, and this is just how the government works in general. So yes, it definitely makes sense. If you do it with a corporation that work far better. Yeah, I was thinking along those lines, like Twitter, when they banned Donald Trump, if that had been a government social network and they did that, the U.S. people would have outraged about free speech. It would have been a big deal and probably been overturned because of the Constitution. But because it was a private company, if the government asks them to do it, there's like this mask of it being a private enterprise. And it's really not. I mean, maybe you could argue like who did it, who made the final call, who, who set it in motion? It's all very obfuscated behind enemy lines or behind, you know, the, the cloud of war, the fog. All right. Just for fun. Like I said on my other show, uh, we've been, I've been going more conspiratorial. And this is one of the ones that came up when I was going on a deep dive looking into cool different conspiracy theories. And I don't know why this is even classified a conspiracy theory. I don't feel like it really qualifies it. But I feel like this is right up your alley. And I want to uh, – first off, have you ever heard of the, the idea of that the universe is just simply God experiencing your ego death? Have you ever heard that? No, oh, no. All right, cool. I'm an atheist uh, or agnostic atheist, whatever. I don't, I don't know there isn't a God, but I don't believe in one because uh, I've just haven't seen anything to convince me of it. Uh, that's kind of where I am because a lot of people try to say atheist. I'm, I'm saying for a fact I know there's no God. I don't know that. Uh, but anyways, uh, this kind of, uh, I'll, I'll set it up. This kind of starts from the idea of. Uh, if you've ever heard the God of the gaps argument, it's the argument that, you know, like people will make like, well, we can't understand this concept. So therefore it must be God. And what happens that shrinks constantly. Now, what the smart theists, you know, smart religious people don't make that argument. They, they do the inverse usually and be like, well, God is everything. You know, God is, you know, in everything because they know that if you make that argument, because a thousand years ago, you had said, you know, lightning, therefore God. And you're, now we are able to explain that. Uh, and if you use that line of argument, it goes away. So the flip side being God is everything. If you don't use that argument now, this goes into, and I, I know you're a big hallucinogenic guy and this, so this feels like this would be something up your alley. The idea being, if that's the case, then God is technically everything to some extent. And if that's the case, then, I mean, especially in the Bible, the way they explain God is typically that he wanted someone to share in the creation with him. And so essentially if you follow this line of logic, he broke himself up and essentially the, the universe collectively essentially is him. But evil came into the world because you took a perfect good and you broke it up. Uh, collectively as a group, we are perfect good, but when you break it up, we aren't. So the idea being that we, everything in its totality is God. 
you know, together, but the universe. So essentially that meaning that God is the universe experiencing ego death because it's been broken up in multiple ways. I don't know why. I just thought this would be an interesting thing to wrap your head around. Cause I think about it. And it's just, it's just cool to go down these weird little rabbit holes and think about, I just thought, you know, especially you being a big, uh, psycho knot that that might be something that kind of turns your gears in your head a little bit. Uh, it's not really a conspiracy thing. I don't know why it was in that, that thing I went to, but I just, for some reason that really struck me. I was like, I'm going to bring that up to Ian. Cause I feel like he may really dig that. It's, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not even saying that is necessarily a confirmation of God, but if there is a God, there's a good line of logic to be like, huh, well, that's interesting. I guess that, that kind of explains a lot. Uh, like, it, one perspective, what are we protons? You know, mm -hmm. I think like, okay, if we're, we're the protons, we're interacting with negative negativity. We're interacting with electrons. Maybe electrons are evil. We are good. We're interacting with evil to become reality. I don't know, but good and evil, I find so di dichotomatic. Like it's a very simplistic way of looking at things like that's black, that's white. When in reality, we know there's no such thing as black and white. Maybe there's like black body thing that emits no light that we can measure just because we can't measure it doesn't mean it's not there. So like to say that there's absolutes of black and white is as insane as saying there is, or is not a God or to say, you know, good and evil. Like it's, yeah. things are so much more nuanced construction and destruction creation and, um, you know, destruction are, are like inevitable aspects of, of formation, but that doesn't mean that they're good and evil necessarily. Yeah. When it comes to God, I think it's like, I thought like once I saw the cosmic microwave background radiation, which through radio telescopes, you see this web of energy left over from the Big Bang that they think is what was the Big Bang. I think that that's like interfering or interacting with with matter. You see it arcing through planetoids, like going through suns and planets. And like you see it like like a web where the nodes are like the star systems or like planets. And then even your own body is like this energy is flowing through it. And I think it's that moment when it flows through that is God that we perceive as like a, this active force, like writing code on our, on our, on our subatomic particles. The thing is, then it gets deeper. That's just one perspective, protons and electrons. You go down to the spinners, like the subatomic stuff, like quarks and leptons. And it looks just like spinning vacuum matter. What's causing it to spin. I don't know, man. I, maybe it's intelligent. I don't even know what the word intelligence means really at that level. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot to go there. Like, I, I could even, if we follow the this this theory, you could even say that microwave, uh, like the stuff you brought up was just the, the leftovers of the consciousness that is God, that he didn't sacrifice his ego, essentially, like in the rest being, you know, there's a lot of weird ways to go with that. And I do agree with the morality thing. I actually, a lot of people, I, I guess I'm technically a moral subjectivist, and a lot of people in our uh, things don't like that. I still think there are preferable modes of being depending on what you're what you prefer like for example i prefer cooperation and people to get along uh or you know not uh, i guess being a libertarian i prefer non-aggression i prefer people not to aggress against people didn't do anything against them so if that's my starting point i can derive from there what i prefer but you know day like if someone murders someone uh i i see that as wrong but obviously that person is safe i mean maybe that person did see it as wrong but say it's some psychopath they didn't see it as wrong. And like, I can argue with them and say it's wrong, but then they'd be like, well, I don't think it's wrong. And we can argue to we're blue in the face. And it's, it, that's why it's like, at the end of the day, like, I don't care what his opinion is. I, I don't want that to coexist with me. And so I will do what I need to do to deal with it. Uh, so yeah, good and evil are things that I, I find to be uh, kind of borderline nonsensical in a sense, but, uh, it, it, but yeah, I, I guess we can go down that route if you want. Yeah. <laughs> 
I was thinking about like you see a guy kill another guy and eat him, and you're yeah. like, hey, that's evil. You just did. You just killed a guy and ate him. That's evil. And he's like, well, no, I was starving. I needed to eat to survive, so I I killed it and ate it. Like that's yeah. another animal, like a tribal guy who fights another tribe. They don't think each other's human or whatever. And so to me, it was evil. To him, it was good because yeah. he ate. His family ate, and I. I just leave it there. I'm not going to push the issue. It seems so obviously subjective that, and we've had to create a subjective moral framework in the United States. We say it's given to us by God, that these things are even God. The idea of God is like, not everyone thinks it, you know, it doesn't mean just because you think it's there. doesn't mean it is just because you think you feel it doesn't mean it's real. And, and just because a lot of God, and even if there is a God, uh, a lot of people try to use to appeal to God for objective morality. Even if there is a God, there isn't a, that doesn't mean there's objective morality. That just means there's some grand, all-powerful thing that says this is the morality that I dictate. That doesn't mean it's still it's still just his opinion, and he's dictating it to you. Like it doesn't mean, mean it's objective. Like it's still yeah. You know? <laughs> the the idea of God is very authoritarian. Like yeah. these church, these organized religions that come out and say there is one God, and you must obey this me through God through me or whatever the fuck it is. Okay, I think if there is a God, it's a it's a hundred quadrillion things happening at once. Mm. It's not like a thing. It's it's the interactivity of matter. In reality, you can't to lock it in and say, I know I will be the one that you can le follow when it comes to this conversation. Like, fuck off. Like, no, it's way too complex for a human to grasp. Yeah. We've tried G-O-D, like these three letters explain what the fuck is going on. Come on. Yeah, I'm a big fan of like, I don't like uh, like I said, I'm an agnostic atheist. So but I am very friendly to the idea of there being some sort of deity because that does have a lot of explanatory power. That doesn't necessarily mean it's true. But I do have a lot of qualms of the idea of like the traditional concept of God that is this all powerful, all benevolent, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's like there are a lot of I personally think there are a lot of ways you can make uh, arguments that there's like, no, there's no way there could be an all powerful thing that's benevolent. Personally, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but I'm more of a fan of if there is a deity that it would be something along the lines of like, a, I don't know if you've gone down like Lovecraftian type realms, but uh, like Lovecraft had uh, Azathoth, I believe, is their all-powerful deity in his uh, in his realm. And literally it's the dreaming god. And all it is is that literally he's dreaming and dreaming is existence. And, it's, and he doesn't give a fuck about us, but he also doesn't hate us. He doesn't love us. We just are something that's in his dream. And that's it. Like there's like we aren't this magical things that he... Like, I mean, there's something to the, like, the Greeks and the Romans had gods and theirs were just interacting like humans. And, like, the idea that it would be this perfect moral thing is weird. Like, why, why? Like, I don't, like, if you're trying to apply morality to it, it's like, like, I don't get why it necessitates that it's, that if there's a God that he somehow loves you. Like, the, the I, idea that those follow are, don't make sense to me. I think, I don't know if you know Zoroastrianism at all. It's a very, very ancient uh, religion Zoroaster was like up on a mountain worshiping the stars, I think, or, or the light or the sun or something. He was like into light, and he, I think, he may have thought that God was light or heat. In that instance, I could see how it's this ever present, warming, benevolent force of heat that's allowing us to exist in reality. But you know, even heat can burn you to death. So, too much of anything, obsession with anything. The I like Taoism a lot in that I don't know much about it except that it's it's predicated on balance, the light and the dark working together, or or existing together to create reality. You need heat and you need cool. You need heat and you need the absence of heat. God yeah. and the absence of God. Like there's not much more rewarding than being still silent with no thought.
Yeah, that is, it's funny you bring up that up, uh, the idea of the heat thing, because uh, I mean, if you look at some of the original religions, they do derive from the ultimate gods, usually be like the sun god, and it kind of derives up from there. Uh, and even, I know a lot of Christians may get mad, but like you look at like uh, some of the terminology that's used for uh, Jesus, like the son of God, or, and you look at a lot of the terminologies used even in Christianity, it does, you can definitely kind of extrapolate, uh, I don't know, like, old religions from it uh but yeah i mean it makes sense the original ones would look at something like the god or the sun and be like well we derive everything from it. it's what it's what allows our plants to grow it's what keeps us from freezing to death you know or or if we're going through droughts or cold periods it's obviously god is frowning upon us like it, it makes sense from a simplistic thing that then you know we would apply extra things on top of that and then we get to this you know modern religion as it is you know so I mean, whatever. Yeah. Maybe, that's not to say Christianity is not true or whatever other is not true. It's just, I mean, I'm just you know talking out my ass just like every other with, person. So with <laughs> some some of the the little things in in the organization of 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 religion, it be it Christianity or whatever, is when they call God He. That really mm -hmm. bothers me. I don't I don't understand why. I think it was made by a guy by a male, and he mm -hmm. they decided we're going to use some patriarchal Roman shit and make it make people worship a man. Because we want to, we want to in, in strengthen the man in people's minds. So God is a he. God's a fucking woman. Everyone came from a woman. God's not gendered, first of all. But if you want to pretend like it is, it's a woman. That's where everyone comes from. Everyone comes from women. Uh, maybe I mean that's maybe that's hyperbolic. Maybe we'll be coming from test tubes in a little while. But they come from the female, the woman's egg. Yeah, it's fertilized by the man. It comes from both. See again, back to Taoism and the balance of nature. It, it comes from both man and woman. So maybe God is man and woman. Well, counterpoint, dudes rock. So I'm just kidding. It's like an internet meme if you're familiar with it. But <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, really, uh, I, I do think that might be even just a language thing where we, uh, you know, it's like even the human language, if you aren't aware of the gender of something, usually the default is he. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess we can get uh, semantic with it, but it is. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I get what you mean. It, it, but uh, we don't really have a gendered term for non-gender. It'd be weird to call God it in the Bible or, or what have you. But I get well, actually, I don't think it would be weird. I'm surprised they didn't. I'm not surprised because I understand what the Romans were doing when they built the Roman Catholic Church. But uh, it would make more sense if it said it, talking about it as an energy field. Like, yeah. I don't I understand who who thought it had, they had the authority to claim it was a man. It, it's yeah, completely true. fucking insane to me. I, it's, it's yeah. personal I mean, thing, I, I guess. I'm sure there's probably some sort of in-bake the fact that, like, if you look at his history, it's only in modern times that... Uh, and that's not to say women didn't have roles or they didn't have their given role or that men always treated women like shit but to some extent we are the the, the physically stronger race and uh as we were more crude there was more physicality involved to some extent we did kind of rule things in that way that's not to say women didn't play an important role and they didn't have their own thing but you know in aspects of at large stuff like that it, it makes sense that the default would end up just being he uh and i guess it makes sense uh, all right, let's move to uh, – I want to touch on global warming, which I think does kind of play – actually, no, I'm going to bring the Super Chat real quick. Uh, do, do, you should look up DS. They were much more pragmatic in their theology. Yeah, I kind of said that earlier, uh, by the way, Trey. I said I'm I'm uh, sympathetic to DS, but I don't, I don't call myself a DS because even then that would be – I can't – I have never seen anything that would – uh, cause me to believe in that. Uh, although like I'm sympathetic with it, I, I find that to be more likely, uh, that there is like a, you know, to that, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that Ian or, or not, but I, we had this, uh, swimming indoor swimming facility growing up called the natatorium. And I would go swim and there was a, a this, this mural, this mosaic mural of like, it was a mosaic stonework of 
Poseidon, mm-hmm. the uh, I think it was a Greek god of the of the ocean, and I thought it was God. It was this dude with a long, flowing white beard. So when I was really young, I was like, oh, that's God, and, and the old man with the white beard. And uh, that was what I thought of when I think of deism anyway. Uh, I think of like a, a human form, God in human form. I, I'm not sure. Maybe that's not exactly what it means, that it has to be in human form. They say God made man in his image, at least in Christianity. That's not maybe not every deistic faith. Yeah. Uh, but is it is it deism, the humanization of God, or is it the, the animalization of God? It, if someone says God is a pillar, is an obelisk, is that a deity as well? Uh, if someone says God is an energy field, is that a, is that a is that a, a solid form? Does it become deification, or is it only when it's when it's humanized? I'd like to know more about that. Yeah, I don't know if deism really says anything specifically. If, from what I remember correctly, deism is just more saying that there's some sort of supernatural entity that created it all, if you will, uh, or deities doesn't necessarily have to be one. So it's very vague. It's just as it's a, just a more of an open ended thing than just traditional theism that's a prescribe religion or, or whatever, uh, which, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's just universe farting uh, pixies that created it all. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. We were talking last night about pressure gradients. I think it's more of a, a twisting system that's forcing pressure and causing spin. But then you, when you look at like plasma clouds, or at least when I do, I start to see like coherence, which makes me think that there's some sort of intelligence. Maybe that's probably the wrong word, but that, that word being bluntly used and like, if there's actual formation and magnetic fields, then maybe there is like an intelligent force causing it to, or it could just be a cyclical pressure experience of pressure gradients that, that are in, in motion so much that we think that there's order to it because we've seen that pattern so many times, but that's just the nature of the pattern. Yeah. Oh, are you familiar with Gnosticism? Someone brought that up. I've, I've never gone in too deep to Gnosticism, but I know when I have, it gets in some weird and it's interesting. I don't know if you've gone down that route. I haven't gone deep down it, but if not, I mean, we can skip over No, it. not really. I think it's not Gnostic means to know. Gnosis yeah. is like knowledge. And so what was it like? It, it was pre-Greek or uh, thereabout, or maybe even went back further than that, where they started to say, rather than focus on deism, we're going to focus on reality and what we know and try and explain mm-hmm. it via that. Is that the idea? I think, I, I, like I said, I haven't gone deep dive. I know there are two different versions of Gnosticism. Um, there's, there's, yes, like you said, there's to know. So like there's agnostic and there's Gnostic. Uh, but there also is the religious Gnostic, which I believe, if I remember correctly, is some sort of like offshoot off of like early Christianity, which it gets into where they start including other like demons and deities and such. And it, it's weird. I've never gone too deep down that. And I know there's a lot of weird conspiratorial offshoots that come off of there uh, that kind of play into like modern day thoughts, whether it be Masons, etc. cetera. Um, you know, it, it, it does get interesting, but I know, yes, there, there are two different versions of Gnosticism. You are right. Gnosticism is also the, the concept of to know. And I'll, I'll, like whenever I get into arguments with people who are theists or religious folks, uh, I always try to give inroads and be like, my issue is with Gnostics, people who claim to know. Like, if you're like saying I know there's a God or I know there isn't, then you're kind of an idiot. Now, if you're if you're coming from a place of I don't know, but let's have a conversation, and this is kind of what I generally believe. Cool, we can we can we can talk. But if you're a Gnostic, you're kind of a cunt. <laughs> yeah, I believe that too. That's why I, I even when I was young, I didn't believe in God, but I didn't not. I didn't believe it was no God. I could, yeah. I, there was impossible to derive. So I would say yeah. I'm agnostic. And like when I was like 11, I was like, oh, I get to pick. I'm agnostic. I don't know. Could yeah. Be. 
I mean, it doesn't I seem like it, but yeah. doesn't, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I label myself as an atheist, but it's just a matter of believing. Atheist, theist, gnostic, agnostic. So I'm an agnostic atheist, but yeah. But all right, let's move into global warming, which I believe I'm, if I'm uh, familiar with your graphene stuff, kind of naturally dovetails into your graphene. But I just want to get your thoughts on global warming. I'll get you out of here so I can be respectful of your time after we go over this topic. But uh, yeah, let's talk on global warming a little bit because I've heard you speak on it a couple of your videos and I, I like your take on it. Because uh, I'm not huge, huge in the science stuff. I know this is where people like to beat you over the head with global warming. But, and this is why we need the government to control everything. And we need to, you know, fucking control emissions and blah, blah, blah. And we need to force green energy and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't believe that because I'm an anarchist and more of a free market guy. And I'm like, well, the free market does it better. So, I mean, you're going to put a whole lot of people into poverty and you're going to end up fucking yourself over and your, your, your idea of this green world. Whereas if you just like, you know, enable the free market. It'll let you get where you want to go quicker. And I think you might be a little bit along those lines, but I kind of just got your thoughts on global warming in general. And we'll dovetail into your, your thoughts on graphene. It seems like it's global warming is primarily being what people are concerned with being produced by uh, carbon dioxide and methane emissions, both of them, both of which can be converted into graphene, which is interesting. These are newer technologies. You can withdraw methane from the air or carbon dioxide from the air, deposit it onto palladium or some other metal and converted into graphene and hydrogen or something like that, methane particularly. Um, when it when it comes to like emissions, I don't think we're ever gonna ethically stop people from making trash. It's just the nature of being human. You take a shit, you, th you eat your food and you the banana peel, what are you gonna do? You don't eat the banana peel, you gotta do something with it. Uh, I mean, you could maybe eat the banana peel, but so we have to reuse the emissions, not stop them. That's my main focus is to reuse them. Now, whether or not we use a government to do it, it's a debate because if we start building private companies that are reusing emissions, like withdrawing the carbon dioxide and turning it into graphene, it's going to create a mining industry and people are going to start mining the air. It's at, to the point where they mine so much carbon dioxide out of the air that the trees start to starve and uh, suffocate. And then we kill off the arbor life because, because of our incoherent, you know, overzealous, privatized, whatever. So you would need like a government or a group of people deciding collectively, which is basically government, how much carbon we're going to be withdrawing together. We'll all be aware so we don't take too much because we don't want to destroy the ecosystem all over again in a different way. Um, but I think, I think the privates, yeah, yeah. I think that we need government. We're going to need government interference on this one, at least, at least over some sort of oversight. I don't want government control, but I want to make sure that people aren't pulling too much emissions out of the air. Yeah. I guess my issue is, uh, you know, when it comes to government in general, you give them an inch to take a mile and, uh, and roping them in is uh, borderline a, uh, a, an impossible task. And, uh, I, I know, especially given our current status with, uh, all the lockdowns and how it kind of would easily lend itself to, Oh, well, we need to do this for global warming. And, you know, I, I mean, if you look at, and I get where you're coming from, and obviously, you know, it's the idea of government in general. This law, like Aaron's argument, it's like, cool. Like, if we could do this, that'd be great. If we could have this coercive entity that does the good thing and not the bad things, that'd be great. But the problem is there are incentives in place that prevent it, generally speaking, from doing that. They may occasionally do th good things, but they're probably not going to. And when we were talking about something like this, like global warming, there's so many third world countries that, like, this is what keeps these people alive is, like, burning coal whatever, et cetera. And I get it. It's like, well, this is, you know, this, maybe this is bad. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. I'm not like a global warming guy. I generally, you know, to bring up a word we used earlier, I kind of just play agnosticism on this one. And I just kind of think like, generally speaking, like uh, if we let the free market control it, people, 
I think people at large typically would prefer to spend less. If we could have some sort of magical green energy thing that we spend less or not at all for energy, we'd all love that. So if we enable the free market, you know, say bring up like IP earlier, say we throw out IP, allow so things like water, you know, people have like tried to make like water uh, engines and shit like that before or stuff like that. And then, you know, like the supposedly I've always heard shit about like the fucking oil companies come and shut down. I don't know how much truth there is to that. But the idea is that you let innovation take place and people are going to want this. You know, obviously, when you end up with things like oil companies with lobbyists and stuff, that's going to be an issue because they're going to try to take control of the government and, you know, protect what's theirs. I, I think, generally speaking, we're going to end up with, you know, that. And whether you believe in global warming or not, at the end of the day, people want to pay less. Uh, and they're going to prefer these things when they become feasible. So if we're trying to force these green solutions down people's throat and they're not feasible at the time, nobody's going to want them. Uh, you know, and also I think trying to get a coercive entity to shove it down is going to cause a whole lot of death and destruction. Obviously, I think it would be great if we had this, like, if you could have this coercive entity that, you know, you know, strategically fucking, uh, you know, controlled everything and was able to be like, well, this and that, uh, unless we get to some crazy technocracy, you know, like we brought up earlier, I don't see that being feasible because though, you know, so yeah, when I think about like uh, withdrawing the carbon from the atmosphere and reusing emissions, I, 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 what I would like to see happen is the private sector governs itself and makes sure that it doesn't take too much. But as soon as profit motive comes in, and there's all these companies pulling carbon dioxide out of the air to create graphene with it so that they can sell their graphene, all of a sudden it's going to be like, hey, the carbon dioxide levels have dipped a little too low. The trees, we're starting to lose trees. And then if they're like, yeah, I'm not going to stop. And all the other private companies are like, well, we need you to stop because we're all trying to stop together. And they're like, yeah, I'm not gonna. Then you're like, uh, we need military action. We need the government to send in police and arrest those people and shut their company down because they're yeah. destroying the earth. And I don't know if the private sector is capable of doing that without government interference. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily entirely disagree with you, but my, my another issue I have is the, I just feel like, to there's a whole lot of assumptions baked into something like that uh like i said i'm not a huge science guy so i don't even really know i don't like i, I know a lot of people like to be like oh you're a fucking climate denier but it's like i think if most people are honest with, it, with themselves i mean i'm sure there are some people who really go in depth and know all this shit i don't really know enough to have a strong opinion one way or the other and i think most people would be if they're honest with themselves that's the case uh i know they can appeal to science but i mean if you look at the past couple of years appealing to science is kind of a fool's uh, mission, in my opinion, because uh, obviously, yes, in a perfect world, I believe in the scientific method. I'm not saying I don't believe in the scientific method. I'm saying the problem is when you have a whole lot of other entities that come in place, you know, you look at like stuff like COVID and, you know, things we were told at the beginning and then what end up being true at the end. The idea that I'm just supposed to accept the word of just some people that this is as bad as I thought it was or as bad as they say it is. I, I don't I don't buy that personally. Uh, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying I'm not just going to assume it. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to the scientific method, I think sometimes people conflate science with the scientific method and they're yeah. not the same thing. The scientific method is one type of science. Yeah. There's also quantum there's quantum effects that the scientific method can't reproduce, but they know they exist like weird anomalies. They call them anomalies. There's mm -hmm. the placebo effect. Scientists don't know why. If you think something is real, that it has more like when they give someone a control and a thing, sometimes it, it actually their mood improves because they think they're getting medicated. And so they their body picks up. And so it's like germ theory. Then you have terrain theory. Maybe they're fixing their posture because they're they have a will to live again because they think they're getting the thing they need. And then they're 
their endocrine system gets healthier because their posture is better. And scientific method is not capable of under, has never been able to like take those little out of the box experiences and really quantify them. It's really good for like building houses. Um, you know, you know, you know what it's good for. It's good for reproducing things and, and being like, yes, now we can all agree within a, yeah. you know, a percentage of a doubt that this is going to happen again when we try it again. Yeah. But there's a lot more to science than the scientific method. Yeah, it's like just the building blocks of understanding if you get from there to there. I, I get what you mean. And I guess just uh, like we kind of touched on the technocracy earlier. I just I guess I'm hesitant to jump from uh, go to scientism because, I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen it's I can't tell you how common it is that you see there'll be some study that happens uh, and then then there'll be an article that comes out and it'll be like, oh, my God, this does this. And then you read the article and you're like, well, this like you're sort of right. This is like the whole Michael Malice factual, but not truthful type thing. So I, I guess I'm hesitant to just jump onto the words of people. And I mean, in general, and I know a lot of people say, Oh, well, everyone agrees. And like, well, what specifically are they agreeing on? And, and what assumptions are baked into this? What studies do you have, et cetera, et cetera. So, and then the idea that then we should pass that on to some sort of government entity is where I'm hesitant. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just, I'm hesitant to do it. I mean, everything they say could be true. It's just, I'm hesitant to be like, oh yeah, take complete control, you know? So, you know. Yeah, you'll see studies where it's like a thousand people were studied. A hundred of them experienced A. Therefore, yeah. one-tenth of the people in the world will will experience A when they take, and you're like, well, you can't up you can't upscale the these studies like studies are not effective scientific you might argue that they can be enough studies could be considered scientific modeling but i i've never seen a study where everyone was involved i've never seen one it's it's yeah. they're always like a small segment and then they extrapolate it to the large whole which is completely insane and not scientifically sound i don't understand why i mean it's like the best they got maybe they think but yeah. or maybe they're just trying to push an agenda and they're like look we, we had enough people we studied a thousand that's enough let's go let's push it yeah, you know, this is common diet science. I know, I know, I used to, I, there was a period of time where I was really deep into that. And you'll look at stuff and they'll take some poll from like, I don't know, somewhere in Italy and they'll look at all these people and then they'll extrapolate data from that. And you're like, okay, well, maybe there's something different about people in Italy than there is about people in America. Or, or they'll be like, well, the vegan diet's superior, the vegetarian diet's superior, the carnivore diet's superior. And like, well, I mean, there may be more than like uh, people extrapolate things. It's like the correlation causation type thing. It's like you're extrapolating a lot from this and there's a whole lot that else that could become from it. And I, I guess it's just where it, it gets way too nuanced to the idea that I'm going to take this blunt instrument, this government, and then trust it with it. You know? Yeah. And that's not even accounting for things that we don't understand or could be yes. outside of our purview, like our solar cycles. Like maybe we're in a position in orbit around the galactic core or around the sun around maybe that's causing, you know, certain foods to interact with bodies in a different way for the next seven years. And then you'll notice like a change. Maybe it has, we don't know. So to say, this is it, everyone fall in line is fucking insane to me. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a thoracratic. I don't know. It's very dangerous, a very dangerous way for people to behave. Well, all right. Uh, I do think we're at hour about an hour 15 ish. Uh, if you want to go ahead and drop your plugs, we can go ahead and kill this. Cause I do think I've taken up your time and I do appreciate it. This has been a fun one. It's a little bit different than what I'm used to doing. We went on some just more, uh, just kind of weird tangents and that's always fun. Uh, so I do appreciate your time. If you want to go ahead and drop your plugs, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that was awesome, man. Um, IanCrossland.net is my website, so you can go there and check out. If you wanted to get in touch with me via social networks, that's where to do that. And uh, TimCast IRL, Monday through Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube. 
you search TimCast IRL, you'll find it. You can also find it from TimCast.com. I won't be on tonight, but I will be on Tuesday through Friday this week. Hell yeah. Uh, and with that, this is the No Way Jose channel uh, show. You can watch me on YouTube, all the major audio packages, Odyssey as well. Follow me at Twitter at 2020 No Way Jose. Patreon.com is No Way Jose 2020 if you're giving me money. Like, subscribe, uh, comment, all that good stuff you're supposed to do for YouTube stuff. And with that, uh, I am out. I appreciate your time. See you guys. Thanks everyone who showed up for the stream. Peace. You're out.